It's also surprising that the New Testament passages don't look back at the prominent examples of slaves in the Old Testament. Folks like Joseph and Daniel, who are known and who are held in valor for doing what? For not obeying their earthly masters in everything. So what's going on here? And Esau Macaulay makes an interesting suggestion that the Apostle Paul is using logic similar to Jesus' ethical logic when Jesus addresses the issue of divorce in Matthew chapter 19. When people came to Jesus and said, why does the Bible deal with divorce the way that it does? Jesus has kind of a two-layered answer about divorce. He says in the first layer of the answer, don't you realize that if you go all the way back to the beginning, it was not so. How did this all look way back at the beginning? Way back at the beginning, according to God's design, marriages did not end in divorce. And yet, Jesus says, why do the scriptures speak about divorce and sometimes even give Guidance for divorce, for example, through a certificate of divorce that is named in the law of Moses. Jesus says, well, that had to be because of the hardness of your hearts. In other words, when Jesus deals with a tricky ethical issue, he says, let's go all the way back to the beginning. But then he also and and let's look at what God's good design originally was. But notice also how in this fallen world, sometimes there need to be real world interactions with things that are not there because of God's good original design, but because of the brokenness and fallenness of the world, because of the hardness of human hearts. And Dr. McCauley suggests that in a similar way, when Paul comes to talking to bondservants and their masters in the church, he wants to do something similar. Yes, in the fallen world that we live in, there are bondservants and masters. And so because of the hardness of people's hearts, there need to be some, some words, some directions, some regulations given for it. But it was not so from the beginning. And so Dr. McCauley suggests that even though the New Testament passages like this speak to slaves and their masters without demanding the immediate abolition of all slavery everywhere, the way Dr. McCauley puts it is he says, Paul's teaching creates a world in which slavery becomes more and more untenable. In other words, even though writing to a church in the ancient Roman world in which many people may have been bondservants and some may even have been masters over bondservants. Even though he would speak to them about how to go back to work changed by the gospel tomorrow, he was nonetheless subverting the entire institution of slavery. And nonetheless, creating a world in which slavery became more and more untenable. And we see hints of that in this passage itself. Do you notice what Paul says to masters? 
In his time and place, it would not have been surprising to say, if you're a bondservant, you've got to listen to your master. But to turn then to masters and say, verse 9, quote, masters do the same to them. That was revolutionary. It changes the game. Or even for Paul to treat bondservants as people with value and dignity worthy of being directly addressed in a public letter. That was virtually unheard of in Paul's day. Dignified people in Paul's day might write about bondservants and other kinds of slaves. But dignified people in Paul's day would not write a letter to bondservants and other slaves. Directly addressing them as if they were individual moral agents capable of hearing God speak to them. And in fact, this dignifying impulse that we read about here in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 5, it had an immediate effect. It's a widely known fact of history that throughout the Roman Empire in the three centuries following the writing of this letter, bond servants flocked into churches of Jesus Christ. Men and women from the lowest ranking positions in society. Men and women who were treated as less than and inferior to others throughout their work week. They flocked to the churches. Why? Probably because... Probably because there is something about our Lord Jesus Christ's heart that looks to men, women... Even children born into lower classes. Men, women, and children who are treated as less than in other parts of society. And our Lord Jesus treats them with a kind of dignity and a kind of love that wouldn't be found anywhere else in their world. And so, of course, these men and these women, these bond servants, flocked to the churches of Jesus Christ where they found true freedom. And true joy, true dignity, true acceptance from the voice of the only judge whose judgment will ever truly matter. And so what Esau Macaulay says became profoundly true. The words of Paul, while they deal with bond servants and masters without technically calling for or demanding the immediate abolition of all slavery everywhere, these words created a world in which slavery became more and more untenable. The church should have sooner realized that and freed the slaves on this continent and in other parts of the world. But we can still applaud and celebrate this beautiful teaching from Paul which treats bond servants with dignity and creates a world in which slavery would become more and more untenable. I know that's a long aside, but I think it's worth considering. So let's go back to the question I was asking a few minutes ago. Who is this passage for? It's for bond servants and masters, but not only for bond servants and masters. Do you notice this little comment there at the end of verse 8? Knowing that whatever good anyone does, 
this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. In other words, even in its original context, Paul realized, I want to say some things that will inform the way that the lowest ranking and highest ranking people in the church will go back to work on Monday morning. I want to say some things that will inform the way that bond servants and masters will do their work differently because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ beginning tomorrow. But what I'm saying to them, Paul knew in his own time and place even, is true for anybody listening in the church, whether a bond servant or free. So who is this passage for? It's directed to bond servants and masters. People who lived in an unjust system that God was in the process of undermining, even as he spoke into it. But who is this really for? Not only for those whose business card might say bondservant or master, but for all of us. For all of us here today. So, here's the next big question we need to think about. What should we learn from this passage about our work today? What should we learn? I want to suggest to you two lessons which are each connected with the gospel truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Two truths that are connected to the Lordship of Christ. Lesson number one is this. Remember that Christ our Lord will reward good work. Remember that Christ our Lord will reward good work. We see that in our text here, especially in verse 8. Verse 5 begins speaking to bond servants, people who work at the lowest levels of society, doing things like washing dishes with their work hours, or doing things like working out in the field during their sweaty outdoors work hours. He's speaking to bond servants, and he's calling them into a certain way of going about their work. But what is it that, what is it that enables them to go about their work in a different way than a bond servant who is not a Christian? What enables them to work differently than bond servants who are not Christians is this theological truth that is found in verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, I'm telling you, not just as a wishful guess that Jesus will reward good work. I'm telling you on the authority of God's word itself that Jesus plans to reward your good work that you've done in service to him. And that sounds nice here on Sundays. But sometimes it gets tricky to connect that in with Mondays, right? 
Dorothy Sayers wrote a famous essay called Why Work? It's a little bit dated now, but it's worth Googling and reading sometime. And in that essay called Why Work? She suggests this question, what good is any religion that only speaks to one-tenth of a person's life? Here we encounter a surprising truth. That if our risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ truly is Lord of all, then that not only changes the way we get together and worship for one-tenth of our lives maybe on Sundays or in other religious contexts, it changes ten-tenths of your life. That's 100% for those of you who aren't quick at the maths anymore. It changes all of your life, not only Sundays, but also what you will do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And Sunday. It changes everything. And I know that this is especially challenging for us to take in. Especially for those of us who perhaps have felt overlooked. In the work that we have done. When we are overlooked. In the work that we do. And others around us don't seem to value our contributions. We can perhaps become tempted to hate work. As nothing but a pointless drudgery. Amen. (laughs) We want to be so honest. And so then this shows up in your small group. When you're talking with somebody else about work. And you say, how's work going? It's hard. It's exhausting. And you go right away and you say, look, I hear that your work is exhausting. I got a Bible verse for you. Jesus is going to repay you for every good thing you've done. And what's their response to that probably going to be? They're going to look at you kind of like this and say, I know that's what the Bible says. But does Jesus really care what happens at Pittsburgh Paints? Does Jesus really care what goes on in the dial soap plant? Does Jesus really care that much about the Friday night shift at the nearby restaurant where I work? Do you think Jesus really cares that much about the boxes in my warehouse? Do you think Jesus really cares about the lines of code or numbers that I looked at today? People say, I know that's what the Bible says, but does Jesus really care? And listen to me. Here in Ephesians chapter 8, God, through his spirit, has something he wants to say to you. And I don't know how else to do this except to say that I hear that work is hard and exhausting. And I have had this conversation so many times that I know you want to tilt your head sideways and say, I don't really think you understand my work. But I'm telling you that God, through his word, wants to get eye contact with you through this text. 
And God wants to say to you that even manual laborers who, even manual laborers who do things like scrubbing dishes and working in fields, God wants to get eye contact with you and He wants to tell you, quote, you need to know that whatever good anybody does, even the, those who wash dishes and work out in the field, and whatever it is that you do, this He will receive back from the Lord. Which is to say that you might have bosses and co-workers in your life who have overlooked all of the good things that you've done, who have ignored your contributions, worse yet, maybe even have minimized them and made them seem not all that important. Jesus says, I am the Lord and I would like a word about your compensation. It hasn't been sufficient. And I'm going to do something about it. If Jesus truly is Lord of all, then that means he's Lord over Pittsburgh paints and the dial soap factory and the restaurant and the warehouse and wherever it is that you've done work, whether at a kitchen sink or out in a field, whether 20 years ago or 10 years in the future, whether last week or this week, no matter how overlooked or minimized or ignored that work has been by others, the Lord Jesus Christ does not look around at this world and shrug his shoulders and say, I don't really care anyway. He looks at whatever good you have been doing in service to him. And he smiles over what you have done on Tuesday at two o'clock. And he says, I'm going to reward you for that. I'm going to reward you for that one day. And knowing this, knowing this empowers a new way of working, doesn't it? It empowers us and enables us to go back to dishwashing tasks with a new kind of diligence. With a new kind of sincerity of heart. That's the way the passage talks about it. With a new willingness to do the job and do it great even when nobody else is watching. Why? Because as Christians, we're in on a secret. There's a boss over all the other bosses. There's a Lord over all the other lords. And He is a Lord like no other lords. So abundant in His grace and mercy. That whatever good anybody does while scrubbing dishes in the sink or out in a field or in front of a computer screen or taking care of kids or whatever it is you do. He says, that's a part of my world. And as you were serving me there where I stationed you Tuesday at two o'clock. I know that you were doing it not just for the bosses who might look over your shoulder and shrug, and not give you a raise. I know that you are doing it for me, the Lord over your boss. And a Lord like no other Lord, who plans to extend His grace down to the details of what you do at Tuesday at 2 o'clock. 
As Christians, we understand and celebrate the truth that is taught in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And we get that. And some of us memorize that early in our discipleship. And we commit it to heart and we commit it to memory. And we get this wonderful, glorious truth. We are not saved by our good works. Thank God it doesn't all rest on me. But some of us miss memorizing the very next verse, which continues the thought and shows a connection between God's grace and what you do Tuesdays at two o'clock. The next verse in Ephesians two says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, not saved by good works, but we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, God's grace, which saves you, will also reward you. And God's grace, which saves you, not because of our good works, will nonetheless reward you for every good work that anybody does in service of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord over all lords and the Lord like no other Lord in his grace and his mercy. That's one principle that we need to catch here, one lesson that we need to learn, especially for those of us who are perhaps tempted to hate work as nothing but a pointless drudgery. Whether that work is washing dishes or working in the field or teaching kids or doing homework or whatever it is, for those of us who are perhaps tempted to hate work as nothing but a pointless drudgery, the key is to remember that our Lord Jesus Christ will reward for every good thing that we do in his service. And this empowers a whole new way of working with joy and freedom and diligence. But there's a second lesson we need to learn. The second lesson that we see in this passage for all of us, is that we need to remember that Jesus Christ is Lord, which makes all Christians servants. Look with me again at verse 9, which begins by saying masters. And do you remember I told you earlier in the original language? It's the same word as Lord. So let's just do it for our sake like this. Lord's. Bosses, people with other people who have to give an account to you, managers, leaders, influencers, do the same to them. Oh, and stop your threatening. Why? Knowing that he who is both their Lord and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. You see, the lordship of Jesus Christ creates a radical new way of going to work, not only for those whose work involves washing dishes or working in fields or other things like that that are often overlooked, 
the lordship of Jesus Christ also has something very specific to say to those who are leaders and influencers and bosses in the workplace. And to those who are leaders or managers or bosses in the workplace, we know there's a certain kind of temptation that can come with our work. We can perhaps be tempted to rely on our work for our sense of worth and for our whole identity. To measure our worth by how we rank versus other people around us in life. And two people who are tempted to measure our worth based on how we rank How highly we are exalted and celebrated by other people. Listen, you know that's absolutely exhausting. Jesus gives us a word of grace. Remember the Lordship of Christ. Remember there is a Lord over all other lords, even you. Which means that if you are a Christian, then you are a slave. Whatever your business card might say, if you're a Christian, then you have a master to whom you need to give an account. If you're a Christian, then you are a bondservant. And as a bondservant whose allegiance is to Jesus, shouldn't that bring color into the way that you manage other people in your life? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday? Shouldn't that add some color to the way you lead others? We serve the Lord who is above every other Lord, even over every single one of us. And we serve the Lord who is like no other Lord, unmatched not only in his generous justice, as we thought about a minute ago, but unmatched also in his own glorious humility. You see, as Christians, we understand that we serve a Lord who willingly became a bondservant. Do you see how the chain reaction begins? Coming out of the atomic energy of what Jesus did? Do you see how this chain reaction begins to set things off? If we serve a Lord who willingly became a bondservant who came not to be served by others, but to serve others, and even to give His life as a liberating sacrifice for many. Do you see how that sets off a chain reaction? In fact, this is what Jesus Christ Himself wanted us as His disciples to understand. Jesus taught it like this. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But Jesus said, disciples, it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be what? 
Servants. When Martin Luther King Jr. preached on that verse, he brought a powerful insight. He said, I love what Jesus taught there. Because it tells us that everybody could be great because everybody could serve. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave of everybody else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here's the summary of lesson number two. Perhaps some of us are tempted to rely on work for our sense of purpose or identity. Perhaps we're tempted to play this world-like game of measuring our status and our value by how we rank against other people around us. But the key is this, is to remember the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The Lord above every other Lord, including you and me. And the Lord unlike any other Lord. Glorious in his humility. That will transform how you view yourself. It will transform how you view others in your workplace. Whether they be superiors, so to speak. Or peers, so to speak. Or those who have to give a report to you, so to speak. It will transform the way you view yourself. It will transform the way you view others. And as it goes deep, it will transform how you motivate those you lead. See, here's the key idea that we began with earlier. With your work, with your work, it matters who you are serving. Earlier, we thought about the example of Albert Speer. He wanted to be remembered above all as an architect. But who you serve matters. And in the last analysis, who he served overshadowed everything else. And here's what I want to suggest to you, brothers and sisters. In your work, who you serve matters. And in the last analysis, who you serve will outshine everything else. So whether you wash dishes or work in a field, whether you manage people or teach children, whether you feel like you are retired and the hardest working days of your life are behind you, Whether you feel like you're young and the hardest working days of your life are ahead. Whether you feel your work has been successful or more unsuccessful by this world's standards. Whether you wash dishes or work in a field or manage people or whatever you do. May it be said of our work and our lives that above all we were servants Of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord over every other Lord. And the Lord unlike any other.